I haven't been to pick and pull for probably 20 years. Okay. So I've got some questions. Okay. Okay. So when you go, are the cars all just up on blocks? They're like sitting on old wheels. Depends on how picked the car has been. Okay. But yeah, typically. Is it sketchy to go underneath a car while it's up on those things? Have you done this before? Have I gone under the car? Yeah. No, but I have rummaged around through a car that's been up on blocks. So, I mean, what's scary? Well. <laughs> what's scary? A car falling on me. <laughs> no, I was going to say, <laughs> what's, what's, scary. what's scarier? A car falling while you're under it or when you're in it? Well, obviously, while you're, you're under, under it. it. Yeah. Because while you're in it, you're going to be fine. <laughs> I don't know. If you're some, under it, you're going to die for sure. Some sketchy stuff inside some of those cars. Uh, I would say they're mostly fine. What are you trying to pull? Uh, exhaust manifold. You'll be fine. I barely trust jack stands, even though I know they're Well, these aren't secure. jack stands. They're usually like... It's usually wheels, right? It's usually wheels or... Well, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. Because you don't want to get dirty and you don't want to... Oh, I don't care about getting dirty. I just don't want a car to fall on me. And I, ah. I hate being underneath cars on the ground. Oh, yeah, that sucks. It's so annoying to me. It's not even the dirt that bothers me. It's just the... the cramp. There's some sort of claustrophobia associated with the position. Well, when you have friends like Driving While Awesome where they have a... Well, now, I mean, once lift. you've worked on a lift, dude, there's no going back. There's no going back. There's no way. Hi, everybody. I got eggs, I think. Whoa. Whoa. No, that's not too bad. Juicy, eggy. Mine were pretty yogurty. I spilled them almost all over the place. Rot row. Good save. It's fine, you guys. Rot row. What's happening? How are we doing? Good. Pretty good. Thing. We're talking pick and pull. Yeah? You going to get some stuff? Going to see. I'm going to try to pick and or pull. I'm going to overcome my fear of going underneath a car uh-huh. on, a, on a yard, on a you weird know. sketched out yard. Because it might fall on you and kill you? Totally, I get That's it. That's what he's, yeah. I mean, I understand. I mean, it makes sense. But it's a Mini Cooper. Like, Why don't you just pay somebody? You can't you take it. a Mini Cooper to the chest? That's only, what, 2,600 pounds? Yeah. No, no problem. You bench that? No problem. <laughs> <laughs> the 20- lightest car still weighs more than a ton. <laughs> so, you got a little yogurt nose. Oh, I feel you, dude. <laughs> Gonna keep yogurt. New cars are just heavy. I don't, I was looking at. Uh, features. I saw a uh, 70 oh. or 67 Mustang. On the road the other day. Yeah. And it was stopped at a stoplight. I forget where I was, but I was sitting somewhere to where I could just look at it. And I was just like, cars used to be so much smaller and like thinner. Like, I feel like all new cars just look bloated. They are. It is because of safety. Well, yes. Yeah. But I wish we could have safety and like svelte. I wish we could. I wish cars looked like that one uh, weightlifter that you showed me that video of. What? Where like he looks like the. He looks like the janitor, just this unassuming oh, guy that, that just awesome. goes. And, that Vladimir yeah, dude? Yeah, what's great. his last name? Anatoly. Mm-hmm. I wish tight. cars looked Anatoly. like that. I wish cars looked just svelte. Like a regular man. <laughs> I called him Vladimir, dude. He's tight, dude. Yeah, but when he takes his shirt off, he's just jacked. <laughs> yeah. God. It's like, it's like safety. There are cars like that in other countries. Yeah. We don't want them here. <laughs> Nobody wants to buy Sounds them. like America. F-150, baby. That's as small as I can um, go. Should we... Go back to what we were talking about, or we can do whatever you there? want. You're completely in charge. Uh, oh man, Jared, have you watched the bear? No. Nah. Great. I avoided it on purpose, but I will. Everybody loves it, and I also want it. They said you'll get sucked in and want to binge it. And what about on season three now? Two. Yeah. See, I 
I just finished watching season two, as I was telling Chris, and the I wanted to ask the idea of what would an amazing experience, like an amazing like coffee experience, be like think like the you know Michelin star experience bar of coffee. We've kind of talked about maybe building one out here, but I'm just curious to know like what do, what would that look like, like. I'm just curious. Asking for a friend? I mean, we've talked about Slow Food. It's not the same, but Slow Food Nation was really fun because of the, they were trying to attempt that concept way back in the day. I would, I would do it differently, but that was really, really fun. They had What was it? I think what was fun about that. Well, Slow Food Nation's a thing, right? At least I think it's still a thing. I don't it know. It might be they, called something different now. I'm not sure if they still do it. But it was an event where all the these like purveyors of jams, jellies, alcohols, meats, cur- like curated artisan whatevers mm-hmm. would show up and then showcase and then uh, win potentially like an award, like a, a good food award. Gotcha. And so ima- yeah, yeah, imagine the good food awards where you have people judging all these incredibly artisan things, honey, but like everything. It's not behind closed doors. It's like this open air market where all the stuff is available to sample in real time. Yeah. The event we were at was probably 2006 or something. So it was quite a bit before the movement really gained steam. It felt really, really niche at that yeah. point in time. Hmm. So the most mega high end of everything. And the bar setup that they did for coffee was probably the best bar setup I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Really? They built a proper Bonks. bar with four. La Marzocco, GB5s, I uh-huh. think. Uh-huh. Four GB5s in a row. There's pictures of it. It looks amazing. It just looks like an old-school, huge like Italian bar. That's the front. And then there were two baristas for each machine. Uh-huh. And you got paired with someone else that you didn't work with. So I got paired with someone from New York. And then the coffee that they gave you, there were coffee submissions ahead of time. And you pulled coffee that wasn't yours and you weren't allowed to talk about who the roaster was because the whole point of the event was highlighting the coffee. So you could talk about the origin, you could talk about the processing, really encouraged to talk about the flavor notes, but it's not- The roasting was meant to be just benign. It's not supposed to be like, oh, I like Cat Cloud, or I like Verve, or I like Echo. It wasn't about that. It wasn't a marketing opportunity. It was really about the product. Yeah, That was in the front. So there's this huge line- they had one of those, what do they call it? It's the partitions that they use in the movie theater where people just kind of yeah. snake around. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And you could either enter or into Shrek. the espresso line or you could go. There was a back way where they were brewing single-origin coffees on the clover. When and the clo- Chemex, too, I think. Oh, right? was it Chemex? Both. Maybe? Okay, both. I think it was both. And you could take one loop or both loops and go. And it was just this really rad event where... Well, the baristas were talking to each other about, oh, this is how I would approach this here, or this is how I would approach it in my cafe, and you're just sharing espresso, and that's pretty amazing. And yeah. then the people coming up are mind-boggled because, again, 2006, you're on that front end of the third wave movement. Not a lot of people had had coffees like this. It wasn't commonplace that yeah. there were these cafes in everyone's hometown yeah. that are making this special coffee, and... That was it. There's no milk, there's no cappuccinos, just espresso or brewed coffee only. 
And I think the other thing that was interesting about it is that the invites, right, were, you know, you, you obviously didn't get everybody, but it was the, <clears throat> at the time, some of, if not the best baristas in the United States all coming together. So, you know, if you think about a Michelin experience or something thereof, right, you're getting people who are actually amazing at this craft A to Z, right? And that was something I th found really fun. You got to work alongside, you know, New York, Chicago, whatever, Washington, LA, like all of us were coming together to do this one thing together. So yeah, if you want to have some sort of experience that reflects the quality, excitement, all of the things that would go into, I think, what the kind of coffee service that would ref be reflective of that, you need to have people who are actually skilled at the ability to even just like create the coffee, you know, yeah. manually, aka using my hands in this machine, right? And not like fully digital. You'd need to, Dialing you need to have an understanding of flavors and extraction and nuance so that maybe to Chris's point, it's not so much specifically about the roast. It's like, I've got this coffee in front of me and I'm going to make it sing in such a way that anybody who tastes it will be able to more often than not receive what I'm giving them and, and understand it. You know, I, I, for me, that's something that I, I always found, you know, I couldn't speak to it clearly in the, and I was doing it with you. If you saw the video, Singing's great, um, Singing's great. like going, going to Atelier Kren, right? There yep. are, there's like a tomato dish. It's like one of the best things I've ever had, but the way it's, it's concocted, right? They walk you through it and they're like, hey, well, this is a compressed and, it's and they talk about all these flavors of things you're going to get out of this dish and you're looking at it and it looks like, how are you going to ever experience all these flavors out of it? And then you eat it and it's not only better than you expected it to be and they talk it up pretty well, but yeah. it's also all really clearly there and layered. And so, you know, I'd say call us a call out or not but most of the baristas out there in the world that maybe consider themselves really good won't be able to do that with most of the if you if i were to give you any coffee they wouldn't be able to play that game and that just is an opportunity for you that's not a shouldn't be a trigger if i say that to you it should be a thing opportunity for you to go like <laughs> you know what is that true or not yeah you know because if you really you're not wanna, calling anyone out you're just stating calling them in you guys i'm really calling call you guys in. in and calling you in to take it to that next level i think that's that's the stuff to me that it juices me up when you can take a product and yeah. create something uh you can pull something out of it and showcase it and make it really special and fun and connective like that's to me inspire connection by creating a memorable experience like that's what we were doing through the concept of one coffee yeah and yes it was fun again i never talked about it but it was fun to bring natural alita and be one of the first people in the world to bring that coffee to the public you know, because we, we at Verve, that was one thing that Colby and Ryan got was that Alita towards the beginning. And yeah. We got to bring it there, and then Chris got to make it heck of famous in Barista Competition. Heck and famous. Heck of cool, dude. It was heck of famous. I got to use it in a blend that got me into my first finals, and it's like we were talking about, you know, that whole concept and that story, but it wasn't that I knew, so I was proud of it, but it was about showcasing that. I got to, I had to make some crazy coffee from Brazil that was really good. You know, I don't remember all the names of the coffees, but I remember, I don't oh, either. there was a really insane Colombian coffee from Intelligentsia that was psychotic good. And yeah, like Melissa Owens was there. It's, it's just fun, dude. You're making coffee next to all these people. You're learning really quickly. You're providing this crazy service. So that's, that's it. So is there room in the world for, uh, like, I'm thinking when we went to SCA this year, um, there was a whiskey bar, like a, a whiskey bar library 
There yeah. is a whiskey library, literally called that. Yeah, yeah. Multnomah yeah. Whiskey and, Library. And for me, I didn't get to go to it, but it was, for me, it was the idea that oh, it's the slow place where you get to go and experience the whiskeys and. It's not like a cafe where it's like I'm coming in the morning to get a thing and I'm because I'm trying to go. Sure. So is there is there a world where this? How do you bridge those two worlds? Do is there a space for both? Like, I don't know. What do you want? Would you go to the place that you're describing right now? The slow coffee place. Yeah. Yes. I this is this is what I was thinking in my mind as you were describing the slow food place. I was thinking, imagine the the Candyman shop in what Charlie the and the Chocolate Man Factory. Shop? Yeah, it's a great shop. The Candyman can. Oh, but where he gets the, he where gets he buys the bars yeah. before. Yeah. Okay, Just before imagine that layout. Off. Or even the same, or, or like when Spider-Man, when he comes in and gets his little candy in his sandwich. Oh, yeah. Just imagine that layout where it's like this U-shaped counter. And I imagine there's like seating all along it and you walk in and like, if it's like, if it's more a more traditional cafe, the register, I'm not talking to my watch, the register, the POS would be like at the middle of the U. So the line builds in and as you order, you can funnel out to seating. And I almost was thinking it'd be cool if there were machines on either side and just imagine like a library of coffee. And it could just be the slow experience of like, oh, what coffee did you order? Okay, cool. Let me dial it in. And it's your barista is right there. You're sitting in front of your barista. That's just what I started to imagine when you were talking about the slow food thing. Yeah. So it's, is there a world where something like that can exist? Or is coffee in this weird industry where it's always going to just be high volume? Anything can exist. But you still have to have a business. It depends on what you can do, right? Yeah. Like it still costs money to do it. Well, yeah. So there's this. There's a whole other. There's a whole other shenanigans you have to put into perspective for yourself. Like, I think this is where companies get in trouble, inadvertently having a cafe that's high volume and they try to do this slow thing on side of yeah, it. Yeah, and I would even struggle personally to call it slow. I just say it like prepared. I mean, in the moment, because like I I struggle with the concept of it calling it slow because. It's still faster than like ordering food somewhere, yeah. but um, you know, you don't expect to come in and just leave. You expect to kind of stay and have an experience. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like what you just described was the inception of Intelligentsia of Venice when it opened, right? Really, where yeah, trying that. you come in, there is a a quite literal concierge, someone who just greets you and, and directs you to one of three or four machines. And then you have this experience with just you and the barista at this individual station and they can kind of curate whatever you want. There is a, a shot pulling single origin machine at the back, but you know, you can have a pour over, you can have whatever. And it's, there's been a few of those concepts that pop up, but over time they all just morph into a regular cafe. cafe. Yeah. Because they have to pay the bills, and you have to crank in this low margin well, industry. Yeah, I th- yeah that, that's you're working against margins. You're working against culture, really. Sure, you that know too. a lot of things. It's not there's you're working against tradition. Like there's this baked the in tradition of coffee. It's not even a stigma. It's like yeah, it's literal history. You know, it's well established that it's quote-unquote normal to go into a high-end whiskey bar and drop 
thirty dollars on some sort of fancy whiskey. That's a just thing, hang out for a that's while. That's a thing that people do, yeah. right? And they kick it and they talk, and that's just that's normal. Same thing with cigars, albeit probably a little less popular. It's not uncommon to go into a cigar lounge and you want to spend a hundred bucks on a cigar. That doesn't exist in coffee. And I think it doesn't exist not just because no one's trying it, because we don't have that deep of a heritage. You know, there's no established cultural norm for that at all. So that's where I'm asking, is there a place for it? Just There's a place for it if someone wants to do it and be really honest and true about what they're doing. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Only because it seems like the people with the money are the people who own the bigger roasters who aren't necessarily interested in spreading the love of coffee. They're interested in selling more coffee. They operate more as a business than the bar model, which the bar model is not associated with any particular distillery, right? They're a smorgasbord of, they have everything. Yeah. Right? It's like you have Whistlepig and High West and whatever, all of these things. There's very few independent multi-roaster coffee shops that are just cranking big enough numbers or have the funding to be able to experiment with something like that because it would be an experiment well you that's would... that's your issue right is you have to have enough money to float this thing that's probably not going to make you a lot of You'd money be losing yeah. money yeah yeah it's well it's and maybe at best you could do a break-even cafe maybe yeah you know and if you're going to do that if you just look at the metrics of business okay to do that you have to have one person working their total they probably have to sell 50 to 100 drinks and then you have to think to yourself how, or, or, right, your pricing has to be a fair amount more expensive to offset that and bring the drink total down, down, right? Yeah. So you, that's what you have to work with, or you have to be in a business that is flush enough that is probably using it, in my opinion, right? It's like to, a marketing piece almost? Partially, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's it could be like authentic, beautiful, organic marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where but it's like, like, hey, come for this amazing experience. And you probably could find a way to do some pairings and things to bring that, you know, bring that up to making a little bit of money. Maybe you sell some, the ability to have all the coffees there yeah. and you sell some whole bean at like different weights based on the person yeah. being there, whatever. You know, that all takes a lot of front end work to figure out. But to Chris's point, I still think what you're going to experience is people coming in interested mainly on the weekends and, you know, they're still going to, it'll, it's totally, it's niche. It's it's really exciting for the moment. And they aren't going to come in every day. Yeah. That's no. the other thing, right? You're, nobody's coming in every day to that. Well, that's not true. A few people will come in every single day. And a few people is not enough to run a business. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to be... I, I pictured um, the coffee drive through yeah. down the street. I remember someone was saying they were talking to Man 3 and he's like, oh, that's my best spot. Because the overhead's so ridiculously low. Yeah. It's staffed with one person to where even though, you know, it's nowhere near as busy as some of the other stores, it doesn't even have to be. So yeah. overhead would be a big part of it. And then what you're saying is just being willing to float it in some other way. It's weird, too, because you also have to make good on your promise, which is tricky. Because if I want to have a glass of fancy whiskey... I can take the whiskey off the shelf, pour it into the glass, and it's perfect. And the same is not true for coffee. Right. I'm getting delivered raw product. I got roasted coffee, and I have to make sure that it tastes as good as I'm charging for it. And that becomes a problem if you have 
inexperienced people serving you coffee for $20 a shot and it's not living up to the expectation. Mm-hmm. That's a tricky one. Yeah. And it's also objectively tricky in the context of not everybody agrees on, you know, quality and especially coffee or any kind of coffee, too. So it's, you're right. Like, it's tough. Well, that's where you would, like, curate, you know, and you would have to really own it. But you, you couldn't have any excuses extraction-wise. You know what no, I mean? Absolutely. You couldn't serve. You'd have to yeah. be able to deliver clear flavors like to, we were exactly. talking slow foods. Right. Like, they'd exactly. have to be able to understand. They'd be like, this person serving me was right. Like, I, I definitely taste what they're tasting. I don't like it, but I they did it. It's there, yeah. yeah. And I can I can get behind that too, and that's even okay. with alcohols. Yeah, you know? that's okay because you could experience or like, oh, I tried this tequila. It's not really my cup of tea. Yeah, but I get it. I'm cool. I get it. Like yeah. it, you did what it said. It did what it said you were gonna yeah. do, but I wouldn't get it again. Right. And that's fine. And yeah, that's you gotta have a baller or that's a baller. Something that doesn't exist things. in coffee as much either. It the seems... actual professional running the bar. Well, that love but, that. But really, just people. Being able to taste something an and say that it's good, it's just not for them. It's, oh, it right. It seems like people are like, this is bad. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, I do that a lot, too. Yeah. <laughs> this is but, bad. <laughs> how do we How do we take those <clears throat> desired experiences from like a, like a Michelin star place and apply them to a cafe? I mean, we do that all the time, every day. I mean, what do you mean? You know, I, I'm, I'm, str- I'm struggling with what you're saying in terms of, the Michelin star thing. The, it's like, the, sl- the slow food mentality. I hate slow food, so I'm not a wrong person to ask. You know, it's like, I think the the big things that all of those places do don't have anything in my mind. Well, <sighs> which part? <laughs> you know, because there's one part of, okay, so let's take our Atelier Corinne experience because it's something we did together. There's one part that's so extreme, which is the complete insanity of the dishes and the preparation methods that are used, which some of them are really traditional, and then some of them are just so cutting edge that it's bonkers. All those crazy foams and things that just, I don't know. How do you make it taste like this? (laughs) How it works. Nice job. (laughs) But it's out of control, right? So that's one aspect of some of these three Michelin star meals. And if we scoop that away there's the there's the other aspect of it is which is easier for us to implement which is we were met by a staff that was incredibly hospitable they were incredibly knowledgeable about everything that's on the menu they were enthusiastic not only about the stuff that was on the menu but the restaurant itself and they had a lot of respect for the chef and that was clear by the way they brought us in and talked to us so from the moment that we contact the moment we were in contact with someone we felt incredibly taken care of and we felt like we were being served by people who know what the fuck is up yeah you were in so yeah you're in you they felt like you, you i'm experience. going on in a journey right now and it started right now so that's something that we could do here that doesn't anybody could do anywhere it doesn't have to be a slow food type of super fancy preparation thing like if you implemented those things at whatever restaurant coffee shop bar that you were working in that's that's awesome. Like that's that's really a good. great step forward, Genuinely, right? Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't even get that far. Um that's that's I mean I don't know where I'm going with that, but No, you're basically saying that when you ask the question of how do you implement the slow food mentality into the cafe, it, what you're saying essentially is people start focusing on the wrong things. 
Well, I'm saying there's a lot of different aspects to fine dining yeah, yeah, depending yeah. on what but you want. What you're like, saying, which, yeah, what I'm hearing and what I'm taking from it is, you know, you think of those insane, you know, the say insane food thing, dishes that get made versus instead of thinking about the other things that go along the way, how you're greeted, how you're brought into the space, all the things that can be applied anywhere. And how, yeah, and how the people are clearly trained in, in what they're doing. Yeah. We talk about being a professional. Everybody in that restaurant saw themselves as a professional. There were no weekend warriors, casual, oh, I just kind of work here. I don't really know much about it. That shit didn't exist. You know, everyone was there. And that's a really amazing feeling. I think there's also something to be said. It's like, yeah, we call it slow food. We call it fine dining, but it's a 14 course meal. Yeah. Like you normally get a dish or two at another place and it takes call it an hour right hmm. but you're there for three ish hours you're getting yeah. 14 per person so you have a table of four you're serving that's 60 dishes that people are putting together they're actually not working very slow yeah no you know like there's a lot happening you just do that math right okay six 60 dishes per table they have two services a night we'll say you know there might, sometimes it's only two people at a table sometimes there's six though you know yeah so yes, they don't have as many people sitting uh, per service, but you're you're still serving a shit ton of food, and yeah. all those all those uh, dishes have so many components. So there's, it's even easy for people to overlook that in my mind. It's like yeah, it's a, a longer dining experience. It's fine dining, but it's not by any means for them. And like, what's coming out slow? You know, it's really probably quick, meticulous, clean, like. The timing of all of it, how it comes out, has to be on the exact point. It's interesting. Right. The, the experience is long, is so but if you're working in it, there's nothing slow about it. You are yeah. ripping. You're cranking. Yeah, exactly. And you're ripping on like the highest, cleanest, perfect level. And that's something that we, yeah, culturally aren't looking for in coffee yet. And nobody's nobody is even going to be able to tell. Like that's another thing. Very few of us in the world... Unless you maybe study barista comps, and that's not even the same thing as translating that barista competition level of workflow that is whatever, call it 10 to 20 minutes. Yeah. To all day. To six to eight hours shift plus. You know, like, who's even trained enough to look at that in the world and say they're doing it anymore or ever, really? That's kind of, we just haven't got there yet, to Chris's point. Like, the culture, the heritage, there's, there's no... There's not been a long enough tenure with experienced enough people to establish what that looks like A to Z at a business. There's places that have done a great job, for sure. And in, in the earlier years, you know, it was like all you can measure by. And then still, the, the, the big mouth of business takes over. The animal that is business takes over and forces <laughs> us all to start cranking more the uh, big in some mouth capacity. So, yeah, like consumerism. Um, well, there's just not... As much, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm guessing, I'm projecting a lot. So if you worked, at, that's great. I'm asking you guys as your opinion. So. If you worked at a three Michelin star restaurant, someone, some place that you're paying several hundred bucks for a tasting menu, yeah. you know, and another few hundred bucks for the wine pairing with that. All the staff that works there, because the experience is so dialed in, they kind of got to be into it. Right. Yeah. And then they're probably excited about food in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know what the percentage of them is who are seeing 
I would really love a career in the restaurant industry in some way, shape, or form. At the top end of it, too. At the, at the high end of it, and whether that's, you know, opening a restaurant of that style for themselves or, I don't know, just making a living out of doing that, it seems like it might be feasible. Yeah. Whereas in coffee, because of our margins and because what the culture rewards for coffee, it's really not feasible to be a career barista in the long haul. So you get people who are the people who are the best at any individual job in specialty coffee don't do that job anymore because they have to move on to make more money. So they end up starting their own cafes. They end up working in other departments like yeah, managing sales some or management. Yeah. So you kind of have this disconnect between talent and the people who are doing the role on the day to day. Yeah. And it's a frustrating business model with that concept a little bit. And, and well, just, yeah, it's just, I hate, I don't even know how to say this. I can, I need to pause for a second. <laughs> I mean, it's a hard one, dude. I mean, it, there's just a lot of places where they do it's you, you reward a professional athlete for being really good at something, but you won't reward. And it's, they're different things, but it is just go where the money is, unfortunately. And the money doesn't sustain. Nobody's sitting there just cheering on very few people are sitting there just like, that's the best barista ever. I love it. They do in the capacity of coming back into the shop every single day, right? Well, and that's... But still probably not at the expense of their time if it's a slow barista. And that's why I think it's because this commodity mindset that people still, that society mm -hmm. still has on coffee. Sure. So it's... It's in between, though, you know what I mean? Because... There is still true commodity coffee out there. Like yeah. you can still get a cup of coffee for a dollar or a dollar fifty. Mickey D. If you come in to our shop, you're spending quite a bit more money than that. So I yeah, get you are how, voting still. Right. I get how people see it as what it is. It's still a luxury experience. Yeah. You know, it's not cheap to get high end specialty coffee and a pastry every day. You're going to be racking up quite a bill. So for people who already think they're spending a lot of money, they're not wrong, but there's also a whole different situation that could be tapped into. So the question that we really need to ask is, how much would people pay for the thing that you're talking about? Like if you had espresso that was consistently just without a doubt, you knew you were going to get your mind blown or it was going to be exactly what was promised every time, what would you pay for that? I would pay a lot for it. I wouldn't have a problem. You know, what's espresso? Three fifty? I mean yeah. just I would just match yeah. my cocktail price, which right. I don't have very often, or like my wine price or my even beer price these days. We're getting closer to matching beer prices, but still. Yeah. So I think if, if someone could actually do that and you knew with certainty, I wouldn't really have a problem putting ten bucks Same. down and getting a shot that was perfect of some interesting coffee by someone who really cared. I would feel and, very good about and that. And I wouldn't care if it had all the theater or everything around it, you know, because we were talking slow bar and it's like, it would be great if it, if it was just a place like ours, but there's a whole different, I don't know what you call it, um, side, just this whole, it, it wouldn't have to be dressed up in all the fancy bows and ribbons. Like it, for me, it would just be exactly what we described like the confidence in knowing you're going to get an amazing shot of something interesting by someone who cares and sees themselves as a professional yeah 
I would pay 10 bucks a shot for that. But I don't know if there's a bunch of people out there who would do the same. I bet you there is a place for something like that where you find that middle ground. You probably still, though, would have to offer something cheaper to get enough people in the door. But I think you could probably find a place. You know, I do picture something, some sort of thing that feels like a cocktail bar and is set up in such a way where it's very clearly, like, built for comfort, not for speed. You know, it's built for the experience where you're you're there to sit. And people probably would. I think you could get enough business to support something like that if if you could be consistent and live up to that expectation behind the counter. And that's the part that's all I feels to me like the wild card. I, you know, I'm not sure I, I see enough concentrated, passionate. That's, that's actually maybe not true. I guess if we were to take it across our, our whole company, like there's people who would be passionate enough to, to team up and like run a 10 person squad at a place like that, probably. So I, I guess there is an ability to do that. I would expect maybe not in every town, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you would definitely have to have like a pretty, pretty strong, consistent group of leaders and a QC team. Like it would take that kind of dedication, yeah. you know, so somebody has to want it. Super fun idea because, because there's those moments. I think anybody who loves specialty coffees had a moment where they're like, this is blowing my mind. And who doesn't want to have that experience five out of the seven days you drink coffee? Like I, I would, I do. And when they happen now, I'm like, oh, this is a really good moment. In fact, I had a great cappuccino this morning. And I was like, they're all good, but this is a really good cappuccino. Well, that's kind of the other thing, too. This doesn't, what I'm thinking of and what I'm asking about isn't something I expect to be every time. It's wondering, is there room for like the one off experiences? This isn't, you know, where I'm like, oh, we're in Santa Cruz this weekend and like we love coffee. So. Let's go try that amazing experience bar that I know Cat and Cloud has and like try some crazy, get the crazy service experience. It's not like I'm okay, it's another Tuesday. I'm going to go wake up and go to the pay 10 bucks for my morning coffee. Well, I'm saying why not? Because the one off experience for someone who's visiting could be the daily experience for someone who lives here. Yeah. And certainly, if it's a place that's open every day, it's going to be the daily experience for whoever works there. That one just really does become a game to me of who's working it and what kind of capacity does that, that team there have to deliver, right? Because you picture organic growth. I mean, a lot, a lot of places start off and then they add to it, right? So you could start this place where people come in and it's like everybody talks about how amazing that experience is mm-hmm. and then it's going to get to a certain level of busy or busier and busier right there's going to be a thing well you're they're either going to like get excited about the person on the bar and be like oh i can't wait to go see jared freaking killing it back there because it's really fun and they did it you know like you have a thing and then there's only so much a, G- a jared or whatever can yeah. handle right in terms of the ability to keep that up so then you're like play- you're playing with that and not every human being is going to deliver that same experience. So then you have this whole other game to play there too. Where it's like you can keep up something, but that's where you it? have to be comfortable saying no. Exactly. In you the did, same way yep. that a fine dining experience says no. Yeah. It's like if you want to go to Atelier Crane and you only have 150 bucks, yeah, no, you can't go there. If you want to go yeah. to Atelier Crane and get in today, you can't. You yeah, have you to plan be like ahead. Three months bro. in advance. And, yeah. yeah. So, but you, you know, going back to Intelligentsia too, because we talked about Venice a little bit. But I remember. You know, I think when Kyle Glanville was at the helm there, when they were opening Intelli LA, they had a bunch of really good and interesting ideas. So I remember when they opened Silver Lake, 
I had talked to Gabe because Gabe was thinking about going down there and I talked to Kyle and Tonks a little bit. And one of the ideas that they had around Silver Lake was there were different baristas who would run the show on different days. And when it was your day, you could make the cafe work however you wanted it to. Hmm. You could make your own blends. You could have some control over roasts. And you kind of had this bespoke experience by baristas who really cared and were professionals. And when they opened, I think maybe there was a tiny bit of that. But what we saw was it didn't last very long because at some point, what you're talking about happened, where it's the line up. stacked up, it was busy, and then you have to make a choice. you making a choice. Do I honor my original intention, or do I want to capture all of these other guests and make some more money? And nine out of ten times, people in this industry, and I don't fault them for it. I mean, we're making the same decisions as well. It's like, I want to serve more people. <laughs> so yeah. the original idea gets watered down into something that just looks more like a normal cafe. And now all these bars that were supposed to be really high-end, really extreme, really crazy ideas are just normal coffee shops. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But no, I still I think, love going to all of them, actually. Yeah, so but it's just really interesting because awesome no, one's, no one's been able to just make the choice and say, no, we're going to keep doing this, even if it means looking people in the eye and saying, hey, Can't do it. this might not be for you. Yeah, maybe I'm just a weird one-off case but whenever i go somewhere i love sitting in the cafe i love just sitting there for a long time whenever i travel with uh my partner it's funny we'll go to a cafe she's like oh you want to go to this cafe like let's go we'll do it and i'm like okay and i'll be sitting there and we'll be five minutes in we'll have our drinks and then she's ready to go and i'm like no i'm not i need another like half hour 45 minutes i want to sit here and i want to and so it's maybe so all that to say maybe I'm the one off where it's like I am somebody that would love to go and sit in a special sp- space like that. I no, I think there's other people like you. I'm with yeah. you. I think there's people like that, but I think the there's a difference between just the amount of time you're willing to invest and then the experience and the money that goes with it. You know? Yeah. It's Agreed. all about money, isn't it? I mean, I mean it, it's a huge component of running a business for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the that's the disillusioning part about running a business is like you want it to be all these things in an ideal world and then it's like how are you going to pay for them? I mean, you can make the choice though. That's the thing. It's like right. it's not it's not like a business is this entity that floats around by itself. You know, businesses are owned by people who are making decisions about how they want their life to be too. Right. So cat and that includes us. It's like cat and cloud could be very different. I mean, we could, let's say, we could work for free. Or let's say everyone here is willing to take 20% of what they make or 30% of what they make or 50% of what we make and take all of that extra money and pump it back into the company and do these really crazy, intense, weird, and strange things. Like, that could be a possibility. Really, really fun. And it could be really, really fun. For Uh, work. But we're not going to have you know money to go out and hang out with your family or go out to dinner every night you're living a different kind of lifestyle and some people are willing to do that and some people just aren't and i don't fault anybody either way yeah um but a lot of it comes down to those those things it's like hey man i have rent i have a family i want to live a certain way and it's just you know it makes me wonder how they do it in socialist countries where it's almost like everybody generally gets paid like this wage you know across the board 
it's higher and they get taxed a lot more. Yeah, in a way. I mean, I I don't know enough about it, but it makes me wonder. Like, you see some of those crazy your experiences in Australia and stuff, and it's like, yeah, I wonder. Do they just like they're fairly capitalist though, right? Well, they're still capitalists, yeah, but it's just like the whole model is different, right? When you're taxed in at this huge rate across the board in such a way that, you know, like the intro pay is really high, but like the top end range. I think unless you're an owner is also not like a ton higher than the the intro range. Yeah, like you, you I have don't a small know how gap. it works. We'd have to wonder. have someone on. To, I don't know. We should talk about that someday. Kind of... Let's talk about international business ethics. <laughs> international business machines. <laughs> IBMs? IBMs. IBMs. Did you do your IBMs today? <laughs> I did my IBMs. Did a couple BMs Crushing earlier, it. Guys. All my stocks are firing, <laughs> dude. It's a bull market out there. <laughs> Great, everyone. It's a cash grab. Just go get it, guys. Hey, everyone. That's the podcast for the week. Thanks so much for listening. If you heard something that inspired you, let us know or tell a friend. These are the types of connections that are the most important to us and that we seek to create every day. If there's something you heard and you want to know more about, send us an email to podcast at catandcloud.com or head to our website, catandcloud.com slash podcast and let us know. While you're on our site, check out everything we have to offer. Dive deep into one of our single origin coffees or pick up a little treat for yourself. We have something for everyone, so check it out. Also, find us in the usual places. YouTube, Instagram, we're always there sharing amazing things. All right, that's it. Thanks everyone for being awesome. We'll be back next week.